When politicians and the media talk about the prospect of a united Ireland, they're describing the coming together of the north and south of this island, for many the reunification of a partitioned state. But why do we describe it as a united Ireland instead of a reunited Ireland? Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Yes, hello and welcome to Let Me Explain. Simon Tierney here, filling in for Sean Defoe. Now, words, glorious words. This is what I have on my mind at the moment. Words matter, and perhaps nowhere more so than in Northern Ireland. I got to thinking when Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill became the first nationalist to take the top job in the Northern Ireland executive because the president of her party, Mary Lou Macdonald, said that Irish unity, all of the opportunity that presents, is in many ways embodied in this moment. Then, of course, in September of last year, the Taoiseach revealed that he believes we are on the path to unification. He went on to say that a united Ireland is likely to occur during his lifetime. Now, both Macdonald's and Varadkar's choice of words for me, tapped into an intriguing etymology, or maybe I'm just being a pedant for words. A united Ireland, unification, unity. We hear these all the time. These are all expressions that have very much become, I suppose, a part of the lexicon. But are they the most useful or appropriate ways to describe such a hypothesis? Would the coming together of the North and the South as a single nation state not represent a reunification of formerly joined territories? And if so, then why don't we talk about a reunited Ireland then, rather than a united one? In the words of the great Risa O'Hare, we must keep going. A united Ireland lies ahead. I believe the aspiration to a united Ireland is, is a legitimate one. It's something supported by my party, something I believe in. We're putting together a white paper that seeks to define what would uh, a united Ireland look like if there was a referendum in line with the Good Friday Agreement. The united Ireland, the, the opportunity to build a new house for all of us, The answer to the question of whether or not a united Ireland or a reunited Ireland is the most appropriate term comes down to a number of key areas. Firstly, were the North and the South of Ireland ever joined before, and if so, under what flag? While unionists will argue that they were of course joined together but under the British Crown, nationalists can argue that there was an All-Ireland unity before the British ever got involved in the first place. Before the Norman invasion of 1169, were the North and South of Ireland not one country? The island was linked through an adherence to Breton law, for example. Brian Boru had managed to bring unity to the country through the expansion of the powers of the High Kingship. Here's Brendan O'Leary. He's the author of Making Sense of a United Ireland. I have a suspicion that, at least on the unionist side, the reason for rejecting the idea of reunification is that they believe that Ireland was never united except under British rule. O'Leary says this line of thinking is problematic, however. Leaving aside questions of whether there was a united Ireland under a high king is that there clearly was a kingdom of Ireland, um, albeit annexed to the British crown, and it was treated as a separate administrative entity. 
Furthermore, the Irish Free State recognised the entirety of the island of Ireland under the treaty. Then it was the Northern Irish Parliament who were given the option of seceding from it, which of course they did. So I think legally speaking, those who insist on reunification are correct. Uh, That's what it would be because the Irish Free State was a a sovereign dominion, uh, albeit uh, united very briefly before unionists exercised their right to secede under the terms of the treaty. Now, um, there are slightly legalistic questions to address. One is, what is the language in the Good Friday Agreement? This wrangling with the past can get tricky when making deals today. And the reason for this is a matter of interpretation, of course. When I spoke with Mark Durkin, the former leader of the SDLP and former Deputy First Minister, he explained that introducing the concept of a reunited Ireland to the negotiating table with unionists led to a kind of linguistic chaos. The language United Ireland is the wording of the Good Friday Agreement. You know, so there are several different references to United Ireland. Uh, It's also specified particularly as a sovereign United uh, Ireland in certain parts. And that's simply because in the context of discussions with, say, the British government and unionists, if you start getting into the arguments about a reunited Ireland, some of them automatically say, well, of course you can reunite Ireland by the South... Uh, reversing this decision and leaving uh, the union. I have sat through many negotiations going back many years where unionists uh, threw up the idea that you can have uh, a reunited Ireland uh, back inside the United Kingdom. Many of them say, oh, the only time Ireland was united historically, truly, was actually under British rule. So you don't get very far in some ways in using the language of reunited Ireland without people uh, distracting on that point. So, is there a historical precedent for us to fall back on? Many other partition territories across the world have attempted or succeeded in unification or reunification, depending on your perspective. Let's take the coming together of East and West Germany in 1989 after 40 years of division. Did people talk about a united Germany? Perhaps not as much as the idea of German reunification. This is perhaps because East and West had already been one. They would simply return or reunite to their former monolithic state. Let's go back to Berlin for live pictures of the celebration. There's so much history that comes to mind when you see what's happening with this official celebration of a reunited Germany. and perspective in the background, two world wars this century fought over Germany and German deeds, a long punishment period in the wake of World War II for the Germans, and now reunification with all that may mean and may not. However, in saying that, the annual national holiday is not called German Reunification Day. No, instead it is, and forgive my German pronunciation, Tag der Deutschen Einheit, meaning German Unity Day. So the Germans seem to move between both terms, united and reunited, unification and reunification. Then again, the notion of 
Korean reunification is generally articulated in a similar way. In fact, the June 15th North-South Joint Declaration between Seoul and Pyongyang in the year 2000 described the quote-unquote noble will of the entire people who yearn for the peaceful reunification of the nation. Not a single mention of a united Korea, but a reunited one. However, is a united Ireland as an expression an attempt to describe the coming together of two different cultures, the uniting of an Irish nation and a British nation, rather than necessarily two different territories? The bringing together of North and South would involve the welcoming to a new Ireland of hundreds of thousands of people who identify as British. There's little reason why this cohort would see any coalescing as a reunification, but perhaps they could be persuaded that it was a uniting of two peoples instead. This is reflected in the linguistic shift in Article 3 of the Constitution, from de Valera's original 1937 text to the amendment adopted after the Good Friday Agreement. Now, Brendan O'Leary says this represented a shift in aspiration, from uniting the people as opposed to uniting the territory, though both are clearly implied, he adds. The original article was firmly on the reunification side of the debate. It read, and bear with me, Pending the reintegration of the national territory and without prejudice to the right of the parliament and government established by this constitution to exercise jurisdiction over the whole territory. That is rather joyless constitutional language for basically saying, yeah, we want to get the North and South back together again at some point in the future. This text then was amended in 1999. It now states, quote unquote, it is the firm will of the Irish nation in harmony and friendship to unite all the people who share the territory of the island of Ireland in all the diversity of their identities and traditions, recognising that a united Ireland shall be brought about only by peaceful means. Brendan O'Leary again. That linguistic shift in constitutional language shows that people want to express the aspiration to unification while politely recognising that there are people currently opposed to that. Finally, there is one more area which benefits the adoption of a united over a reunited Ireland, and it relates to the creation of an Ireland for the future rather than one which constantly harks back to the past, one that was perhaps preoccupied with writing a historical injustice. On top of that, the concepts of unification and reunification don't just relate to identity and nationhood, but also to services, uh, institutions. Can you really reunite to health services which are so different, for example? Mark Durkin again. When you get into the discourse on, on this, it is easier to talk about uniting than reuniting the debate on you know the two choices of constitutional status. When it comes in, it's going to go into a lot of issues for instance, around public finance, around public services like health and education and all the rest of it. Uh, so talking about reuniting in the context of, you know, state and public services that are of a very different character and scale and scope than they were, you know, whenever the island uh, was still jurisdictionally won, albeit under British rule. Uh, is very different, you know, so the issues, you know, so it, it's hard to talk about 
reunification of our health service, reunification of education or reintegration of those services whenever, you know, the scale and character of those services now is of a very different thing, of a very different order uh, than would have been the case then. So that's why, uh, you know, in the modern context we're talking about uniting, it also keeps it as a 21st century debate rather than a debate, a, a debate about trying to set a clock back to something that isn't going to happen in public service terms and wouldn't be the shape or character of things in public service terms. So, we've looked at a number of areas which help to clarify why history has come down on the side of unification over reunification in uh, this Irish context, for the moment at least. The essential factors are the avoidance of complex geopolitical arguments about what and who would be reunited and the provisions and language contained in the Good Friday Agreement. Then again, there is the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sure haven't we been talking about a united Ireland for long enough at this stage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let Me Explain. This week's programme was produced and presented by myself, Simon Tierney, editor John Kyo, and sound production by Lachlan Hart. Please do subscribe to Let Me Explain wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tune in for next week's episode.